What's up, everybody? This is Brian here to tell you about our podcast, Bingetown TV. Our hosts include seven best friends with a love for all things television. We cover a range of genres with a focus on fantasy and sci-fi, but also dip our feet into drama, horror, comedy, and pretty much anything we think is good television. We use the traditional deep dive formula for new live shows that are released week to week, but our calling card is our Rooks and Vets and Pitchtown TV series. Rooks and Vets pairs two of our hosts that have seen a show with two of our hosts that have not seen a show. Pitchtown TV is when we have a special guest pitch us a show by having us watch the pilot and trying to convince us to watch the rest. If you're craving more content on some of your favorite TV shows, then you should listen to Bingetown TV. Find us on our website at bingetowntv.com, the Apple Podcast app, Spotify, or wherever else you may find your podcast. 91 Donkey Lane is a magical apartment complex that contains immense power, but lacks intelligent inhabitants. What is happening? I'm getting texts. Why are we getting a lot of texts? People found out what we did. Oh, dividing Mike Myers into an infinite amount of tiny Mike Myers. Listen to 91 Donkey Lane for free on Spotify or your favorite podcasting app. More at 91donkeylane.com. See you there, you donkeys. Hey, Joe. Hey, Matt. So, I got to experience my first previously on OC. Yes. And I got to tell you, if I had somehow missed episode one and started on episode two, that recap would have been zero help to me whatsoever. (laughs) It's just like random shots of characters looking at the camera, very disconnected lines of dialogue. I was like, thank God I did watch episode one, because if I was like trying to sneakily watch episode two and pretend that I had seen the first episode, you'd call me out immediately. You're like, I don't think you watched that first episode. It's like they were foreshadowing that you could skip the next, the last time on. <laughs> yeah. Boy, can you. Um, so the episode picks up pretty much right where the the first episode ends, which is that Sandy and Ryan show up at Ryan's home and it is deserted. His his mom and the ex boyfriend or the stepfather have just disappeared entirely, and I love this because <laughs> I I love this for him. No, um, so there, this is this is the moment that I was hinting at in season in the first episode where you already start to see Kirsten's perspective start to crumble a little bit, sure, right? Sure. Because because now she's. This is this is her starting to warm up to Ryan's life experiences through the eyes of a mother who just like cannot believe that another mother would just abandon her son like that. And it actually choked me up for a little bit. Like I was I was really touched by the elegant silences that -hmm. were happening during that conversation. You know what I mean? Like it wasn't this like rapid fire dialogue back and back. She just thought like what kind of mother would do that? And then you just kind of sit with that sentence for a couple seconds in silence and it's it's a lot of facial acting of her processing like yeah. maybe i do need to give this kid another chance and the whole theming of this episode being 
hey, we're sending Ryan to foster care. He'll be okay. Yeah. But Sandy and Seth both kind of being on the same page, like he should be here. He'll be better here yeah. than he will there. Yeah, he's 17 years old. So like we're sentencing him to what? A year of like living in a group home and yeah. and who knows what, uh, who knows what else and all of that. And it's just, if he has people who care about him, why can't we, why, why can't we be there? Um, Kirsten's point is valid. Kirsten's yeah. point is valid. But again, it's informed by her experience of being, you know, growing up in that world and like wanting to protect her children not concerned that he's uh like you know gonna steal or anything but more a concern of just like the the physical safety of Seth. I, and i said this in the last episode i don't see kirsten as a villain right that is not a thing that i have thought so far on this show but what i was kind of impressed by in this episode and and we'll get into the the details a little bit more is episode one, I absolutely walked away thinking, all right, Marissa's dad, villain, Luke, villain. Mm -hmm. And then Marissa's dad, villain, Jimmy Cooper. I think so. I, I thought okay. when he went into the bathroom and started having a breakdown, maybe not villain, but I was like, this guy is this guy's up to no good. You know okay, what I mean? Like, okay. I, was, I was very suspicious. This guy's up to no good. But then this episode with both of those characters showed a really impressive level of grayness with their characters mm -hmm. in a show that I imagined everyone to be black and white. Yeah. Uh, there, There's those hints of gray where like Luke is still clearly not a great dude, but no, there are two or three moments in this episode that show like he's not a complete inhumane monster. But yeah. he ain't great. But yes. Um, he has some redeeming qualities. I mean, they. it's one of those things where it's like he has redeeming qualities. We need to understand why Marissa is with him in the first place. So these are the things that uh, the surprises that we get are the things that she sees that no one else does. Yes. Uh, which makes sense entirely, especially like, you know, the way okay. he is with. Uh, the family, how much he, you know, just like loves being around the family and stuff. But where he's an asshole, he's an asshole with a capital A. Yes, for sure. Before we even get into any of that, though, we're just reminded that like Seth and Ryan's chemistry as friends is just off the charts. Them, them just hanging in the pool, just shooting the shit. And I'm just immediately like, I love this friendship already. Like I, I am so on board i feel like this is going to be one of those shows where they really want me to care about who these two characters are dating and like deep down it's like they should be dating each other like they're perfect oh uh, <laughs> you've said the quiet thing out loud you just said the quiet thing out loud <laughs> yeah um i didn't even have to go there because you already went there yeah no they have more chemistry than they do with currently they have more chemistry than i see with ryan and marissa or with uh seth and summer um that could change but that's where i'm at right now uh somehow they wrote marissa into their escape plan though uh <laughs> ryan ryan is like i'm not going to foster care seth has this idea which is you can sleep and live in this model home that my mom has been working on that is never going to get is seemingly is never going to get finished yeah i guess it's because she catches them sneaking around and they're like all right well like 
we're going to bring you in on the big secret so that you don't accidentally rat out the big secret to yeah. anybody else. We're introduced to Mar Marissa not needing too much arm twisting to be a part of this is like this sets up a lot of stuff that's going to happen the rest of this season and then future future seasons as well. It's this idea that like, you know, Marissa bored discontented with her life is is looking for is is always looking for something in, more interesting and i think that that's what we're getting here we're getting like you know she's waiting to go to a birthday party oh but mysterious stranger ryan is back let's see where this goes i feel relatively safe because seth cohen's here too grew yeah. up next to him my entire life we get a lot of character in this episode actually i like this episode a lot more than i liked the first episode, but there are some things that made me kind of roll my eyes. Uh, and the biggest one is that Marissa is talking punk music with Seth mm -hmm. Cohen, just name dropping these bands like the cramps and the stiff little fingers and Fugazi while blasting the newest song by <laughs> Rooney. <which is> like, <laughs> like, it's just like, this is so fucking weird. Like this shouldn't, this was, I, I, again, I feel like there's going to constantly be at least a little bit of Gilmore comparison going on here. And like, this is some Amy Sherman Pal or actually more like Daniel Palandino shit. Just like name dropping a bunch of obscure punk bands in dialogue. That's how you know you're a Gilmore guy's disciple. And I'm like, you've decided, you know what, what you know what Amy has done, and you know what Dan <laughs> Daniel has done. done for uh, sure. Um, uh, I I agree with you. I'm not a punk fan, so I don't know that. But I, but I'm I was as I'm listening to the music, and I'm like, this does not sound punk. Um, no, not even in no. the same fucking universe. Let me let me explain to you in a way that you the first band she names is the Cramps, right? Mm -hmm. The Cramps did most of the music for Return of the Living Dead. Like, oh, okay. the complete opposite of what the music is that's playing in her car. Like, it's like drony angry goth rock and yeah. we've got like this poppy ass rooney song playing at full blast inside the car even before she starts name dropping the punk bands it feels like a weird commercial where he's just like she's talking to ryan about music he's just like i don't know i just like the sounds of music and it's like did they read the reviews for the first episode talking about the use of music and just quickly wrote that into the dialogue to acknowledge this probably it, it's feasible. I guess it's feasible. But they get to the model home, and uh, I I hinted at this last week, but Seth Cohen is skateboarding inside of an empty pool, and it's such a vibe, and it's something I wish I could do. But again, I don't have the body strength or the balance to ever no. even stand on a skateboard. But I, more than surfing, I wish I could skateboard. I really, truly do. It's giving Lords of Dogtown... But like the movie based on the documentary, yeah, exactly. It's the most Southern California thing. Rewatching this, it also like I also realized that like when I bought clothes at that time, I was trying to buy like track jackets like Seth has. I was like, oh, Seth Cohen was my style icon. Ooh, yeah. Well, so I do want to talk about Seth and Marissa for a second because in this episode, I felt like Marissa and Seth make more sense to me than Marissa and Ryan between the the mutual love of their music when she casually catches his on the road reference like mm -hmm. there 
I'm curious to see if this is a thing that they ever actually explore in this episode or in the rest of this show, or if if the relationship dynamics that have been established are just what they are and like no need to ever question them again. But this episode really made me go, I feel like that pairing makes more sense to me with the knowledge I have right now than the pairing of Seth and Summer who have seemingly nothing in common with each other. Well, I think what it, to me, what it does is like, oh, I have, I have so much in common with you and like you're with, this guy who's been my bully for most of my yeah, life. One of the most painfully unlikable characters up until this point. Like, yeah. And I think that what we're also seeing is the fact that like Seth, who has, you know, styled himself as an outsider of this world is realizing that like the things that he thought made him the outsider that cause no one else could understand him is that if he just let, you know, if he just let someone in. <laughs> yes. Well, and that's what she calls him out on because he makes some snide comment to her where he immediately knows when her and Luke started hooking up, which is again, same with naming a boat after a girl who doesn't know you. It's creepy that you know the exact date that this girl started dating her boyfriend more than she knows the date that she started dating her yeah. boyfriend. Um, yeah. But she she calls him out and is like, why why are you? What have I ever done to you to deserve you being so shitty to me? And he's like, what do you mean? You you're right. You've never said or done anything with me despite us being neighbors. And she's like. Yeah, because you think that you're better than literally everybody. And it's like, it's that, that's like the first time that you realize that he starts to see, like, oh, maybe I'm the dick in this relationship. Yeah. Like, yeah, I, I've, my friend said this the other day about someone that we knew, um, where she just said, you know, if you meet an asshole once every couple of years, that person was probably an asshole. If you meet an asshole every single day, you might actually be the asshole. And <laughs> I feel like that's what like Seth Cohen is realizing in that moment Ooh. is like, it's like, oh, I think everyone is shitty, <laughs> but maybe it's because they're reacting to how shitty I am to everyone. Oh, <laughs> uh, that's profound. See, this is, <laughs> this is, this is like, you know, we're easily two decades like removed from Taylor Swift releasing Antihero. Yeah. So... <laughs> <laughs> so it's like you know we don't have like you know that like enlightened self-awareness that like maybe i'm maybe i'm the villain maybe i'm the person that everybody hates yeah. um but and, and i forget what um i forget what movie or tv show it's from but there's a there's a thing that i remember from a from a movie where it's like you know you're you he has no experiences he gets to, uh, we said this in last week's episode he gets to be the not the villain but he gets to be the outsider who watches everybody and he gets yes. to be the observer without having any skin in the game without putting himself out there but from his you know because of his anxiety you know his um whatever feelings that he has about like the people around him and how he's not understood he's able to just observe and ultimately derive a lot of power from that um i this is something that i really identify with on a personal level because you know often in in certain spaces and certain friend groups i feel like i'm the person who is i don't really want to engage with everybody or i feel like i'm not being engaged but i am very aware of the stories and the players of the people and, and how the the dynamics of the people in the room no um, for yeah. it's 
it's something that's become really weird for me because um as as you know and as people who've listened to pretty much any podcast i produce know that i do have a side job where i work with a bunch of high schoolers mm-hmm. and joe i could sit here and tell you over an hour's worth of all of the different high schoolers that I work with, their different dynamics, the different drama that's happening in each one of their lives and how that drama intersects with their interpersonal relationships with each other. And how like, if this person would just talk to this person, they wouldn't be fighting as much, but like they get all of their information about this person from a third party source that always bends things to make them seem worse. It is a interesting spot to be in where it's like by nature, I should not be directly involving myself with that stuff. Like the the way that I always see my role within that particular position is like, keep your eyes open, keep your ears open. If people provide you with information, accept that they are providing that information to you. I don't want to say in secrecy, but in uh, confidence. In confidence. So, so while I can't immediately go up to the person who is the problem and say, hey, you're being the problem in this situation, you need to fix it. What I have to do instead is live with that information and wait for me to physically see the evidence that backs up the information that was given to me in confidence and use that as the moment to say something. And it's it's not fun and it's not easy. Like being an outside watcher of drama happening around you and not being able to directly fix it is not great. <laughs> it's no. not a great situation to be in. No, um, no, definitely not. But that is the role that Seth has like actively put himself in in this show, right? He's just... He's staying out of it. He's watching all of it, but he can't help but be kind of a smart, like a smug dick about it. Sometimes, yeah, he perceives it as wit and how he, you know, is one upping people with that. Um, and in actuality, it's you know he's he just comes off as biting. Yeah, no one. Of, he's uh, uh, we were talking about friends last week. He's very Chandler Bing, early Chandler Bing in that sense, where it's yeah. like his he detracts women by the self-deprecation and the the I'm being charming because I'm funny, yeah. but really you're just being an asshole type thing. Again, I'm gonna just throw it out there. Another Gilmore Girls connection in this episode. If anyone asks, you're sucky. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Marissa dips out on plans with Luke. Um, She's supposed to reconnect with Luke at Summer's birthday bash, um, which Seth knows when Summer's birthday is for creepy reasons as well. Seth is a creep for sure. Yeah. Um, And she's skipping out on hanging out with Luke. She makes up a lie that she's going to get some like hair and nails did type situation so that she can help Seth move Ryan in to this model home. Uh, he tells her to bring the survival stuff. She brings a loofah. She brings a loofah. Looks like she brings like some doily, you yeah. know, just whatever they have around the house, which, you yes. know, of course, uh, of course, Julie Cooper keeps like a brand new loofah around. Yeah, 100%. And so I'm going to jump a little bit around for a quick second because I want to kind of bundle this all into one spot. But uh, I do just love how dramatic and how much drama is just oozing through almost every single second of this show because we've got whatever's happening with Mr. Cooper and Mrs. Cohen. There's, there's Mm -hmm. these awkward phone call interactions where you know that there's a history. Seth said in the previous episode, like my mom almost married her dad. Um, But like, it's like what there I'm watching it going. 
you know, y'all better not hook up. Like, I don't, I don't like that. I'm feeling a little bit of that romantic tension on this show. Don't you, I, you can hurt everybody in the OC, but if you hurt Sandy Cohen, I will fucking rage. But then we also get this beautifully paced out information being brought into Marissa's life of her being in the model house helping Ryan and Seth set up things. And that's how she finds out that her dad's business and basically her entire life is like falling apart and unraveling. And we don't examine that at the end of this episode beyond one line where Mr. Cooper goes into the bed and he goes, what's wrong? We tell each other everything. And she just goes, do we with a question mark? And that's all we leave it at. We don't dig deeper into that. I'm like, so excited to see when this when this insanity is going to continue to spiral out of control. But we've got all that. I, I wanted to tackle some of that real quick because that is uh I feel like you're you may be thinking, oh Kelly, just you wait. This is such vintage OC drama. You're you're scratching the surface here, but I'm loving it so far. I'm I'm loving every second of it. <laughs> I really want to go there with you, Matt. And I just like you just have to wait and see. Like <laughs> the 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 idea that like Jimmy Cooper and uh, Kirsten Cohen, uh, Kirsten Cohen, live next door to each other and like have a history, grew up together, is very is something that comes into play for sure. And um, here's your friends reference. I'm surprised you haven't brought this up. Jimmy Cooper is Joshua, I think, season five of Friends. I'm trying to remember who Joshua was in season five, though. He was I the think. one who um, Rachel was working as a personal shopper at. Uh, oh, my God, it uh, is. Yes. Yeah. Oh, God. Yeah, that was a dumb storyline. Tate line. Donovan. Tate Donovan. Yeah. That's the actor's name. Dude, Rachel. Side note, Rachel has some of the dumbest relationship storylines i'm on the tag season right now where she's dating her assistant and he's just dumb as dirt i don't know what yeah. she's season him i know from spoilers from other people that i also have to endure a, a rachel joey relationship plot at some point yes but like not for a while <laughs> but yeah the drama of it all it's it's fantastic i love it um also we get a fight in the restaurant they're sitting there getting some food and luke sees them starts to fight ryan yet again uh, i do think that the fight in this restaurant is a lot better than the beach fight for me it's just it's it's hitting a lot of uh of just high high drama beats whereas like the beach fight's so quick it's it's like all right they're standing around a fire it's like a couple punches a throw down this is like they are they are ready this is like an 80s bully fight in the restaurant like yeah, yeah yeah like it's it's giving me real like uh, actually both fights kind of give me a karate kid vibe but like this gives me some serious daniel son yes <laughs> karate kid vibes but that's not the end of the fighting joe no because of course marissa goes leaves summer's party to go and check on ryan again and while she's there while she's there first of all the song Hallelujah is playing in the background, which I cannot think of another song that is more overused for dramatic and romantic <laughs> beats than the song Hallelujah. Like to the point that the song has mostly lost its meaning. <laughs> but as she leaves, Luke shows up again. And Luke shows up and they start roughhousing him. And there is a badass Ryan line 
where he's like, am I going to have to kill you? And he says, like, why don't you just kill me and quit talking about it? Yeah. Um, which is such a baller line. But this is where I wrote down the note that there have so far been more fight scenes than episodes. <laughs> <laughs> Two episodes in, we have had three fight scenes. You'll, um, for as smart as he is, like Ryan Atwood needs to go to anger management. Like he 100%. really does. And then I just wrote in all caps, the fire. This is all so traumatic. I love it. I'm loving every single second of it. There is a, a very unnecessary camera pan up to the windows with some really unfortunate CGI fire coming out of them that uh, I probably could have done without. And I actually felt sad as this fire is happening because I'm like, God damn it. They're stacking the deck against Kirsten, not liking Ryan. Once again, like her heart was melting. Yeah. She was ready to welcome him back into the home. And then he burns her model. Home that up. And uh, like, let's, let's also like, you know, for those, if you're listening to this, you obviously may, you are a fan or maybe you're thinking about watching it. Like, it's not just that it's like a model home. Like, this is a freaking mansion. Like, this is yes. a model mansion that that's designed know, to look like Jimmy Cooper's childhood home, which, which... was insane. <laughs> that whole exchange was nuts. It's like, oh, this reminds me of like my parents' house, and it's like, yeah, it's. A, I'm like, oh. Kirk Kirsten, what the fuck? Yeah, that was that line. I like my jaw was on the ground, but it's within this fire, right? This fight in this fire is where we get our first glimmer of maybe there is some redemptive qualities to Luke because as fucked up and mean as Luke is, he is not willing to let Ryan actually die, right? Like he could have easily left Ryan in that house. That house would have collapsed on him and the Ryan problem would be done. Yep. But he runs back into the fire and he pulls Ryan out. And then additionally, as if that wasn't enough, I thought that, that was all we were going to get from Luke. I really yeah. thought that that was like the end of like, oh, we've got like a tiny hint of humanity. He then gives Ryan a, a ride. <laughs> and when the police are arresting Ryan, he doesn't even try to hide the fact that he was part of the fire as well. Like he's yeah. very open that he was a part of it. Now, I don't know. There is still plenty of time for them to continue to make Luke a total dick. But this is the first time where I'm like, am I going to actually not hate Luke by the time I'm finished the show at season four? No, you're you'll you'll still you'll still have plenty of time to hate him. Let's okay, cool. Way. Okay. So this isn't this isn't a permanent thing. I also just have a note which I can't even remember the context because I've said it enough times, but one of my notes just says, God damn it, summer fucking sucks. I think it was I think it was just her one scene. She's like drunk at her party and he says something and her answer's just like ew. And then, like, that's, I'm like, I yeah. hate this girl so much. Like, I really don't like this girl. It, if I had a nickel for every time I said, ew. Yeah. <laughs> um, unironically, um, and not even referencing this show, I'd probably have hundreds of dollars. Maybe not thousands, but definitely hundreds of dollars. So, I don't, I say ew about things, but, like, she says ew about, like, very minor things. Like, oh, he's from Chino. Ew. Ew. <laughs> like, Hey, I went to school with you. And she's like, it like it's like almost mean spirited ooze, not like Yeah, yeah. Not like, hey, I really like this trashy movie. And it's like, ew, why would you like that movie? Like, yeah. It's like, ooh, your entire personality is trash to me. <laughs> yeah. It's like it's a it's very much a, a like it's a very much a personal attack. Like how like I don't like it and therefore it is garbage. Yes. So there's this whole argument. Seth Seth Cohen is 
not helping the Ryan argument too much in the sense that day one comes back with a black eye. Day two, he helps Ryan hide in a very expensive model home that then gets burnt down in a fire. But as he's be as as Sandy is punishing Seth, Seth does make a very compelling argument for like we can't send this guy to foster home. Like no. why I I have I have no friends. The only time that I've ever connect it with a person we're about to send him away where it's not going to benefit him whatsoever as a person he's he's only going to be in another shitty environment where like there are people who love and care about him right here that want to make sure that he's okay like he should stay here it's a very good compelling argument it may have won everybody over had the police not been arresting ryan out front but daddy cohen walks up to him and just says hey this kid's my client Ryan, don't say a word until I see you. And it's like, Daddy Cohen's still going to be fighting for Ryan, baby. He's, he's he's not giving up on this kid. Not yet. No, not we're not giving up yet. We're not giving up on Ryan because Ryan is, uh, what is it? Ryan is Sandy. Like, Ryan and Sandy are, um, to Sandy at least, one and the same. This is, you know, I'm helping this kid out. I really love the relationship that they're establishing right out the gate. Uh, with these characters. And again, I cannot wait to see what happens next. I'm I'm fully invested in the drama at this point. What's up, everybody? This is Brian here to tell you about our podcast, Bingetown TV. Our hosts include seven best friends with a love for all things television. We cover a range of genres with a focus on fantasy and sci-fi, but also dip our feet into drama, horror, comedy, and pretty much anything we think is good television. We use the traditional deep dive formula for new live shows that are released week to week, but our calling card is our Rooks and Vets and Pitchtown TV series. Rooks and Vets pairs two of our hosts that have seen a show with two of our hosts that have not seen a show. Pitchtown TV is when we have a special guest pitch us a show by having us watch the pilot and trying to convince us to watch the rest. If you're craving more content on some of your favorite TV shows, then you should listen to Bingetown TV. Find us on our website at bingetowntv.com, the Apple Podcast app, Spotify, or wherever else you may find your podcast. 91 Donkey Lane is a magical apartment complex that contains immense power, but lacks intelligent inhabitants. What is happening? I'm getting texts. Why are we getting a lot of texts? People found out what we did. Oh, dividing Mike Myers into an infinite amount of tiny Mike Myers. Listen to 91 Donkey Lane for free on Spotify or your favorite podcasting app. More at 91donkeylane.com. See you there, you donkeys. Do you like to laugh, geek out on music, and learn all about that band or artist who had that one song back in the day, but then seemed to fall off the face of the earth? If so, you need to subscribe to One Hit Thunder. Together with an array of interesting and hilarious guests, we do a weekly dive into one-hit wonders like Eiffel 65's Blue, Krayshawn's Gucci Gucci, EMF's Unbelievable, Delamitri's Roll to Me, Los Del Rio's Macarena, Musical Youth's Past the Duchy, and even Patrick Swayze's She's Like the Wind. So are you subscribed to One Hit Thunder or what? As Desiree would say, you gotta be. And as K7 would encourage, you gotta come baby come and join in on the fun of the One Hit Thunder podcast. So let's talk about some of the songs in the episode. Sure. Ryan, and and feel free to chime in if you have any quick memories of any of these songs, even if they're not in your uh, your song of the episode. But uh, 
we kick off. They're in the pool. California by Rufus Wainwright is playing in the background as they're just mm -hmm. lounging in the pool. We've discussed the Rooney song, I'm a Terrible Person, that's playing in the car when they're driving yeah. around. <laughs> not the first time Rooney will show up in this. Well, you mean not the last time. It's definitely the first time that oh, Rooney yes. shows up. The first time Rooney shows up. It's not the last time, yes. <laughs> I feel like Rooney, I know nothing about this band beyond an album cover of theirs that I think I'm remembering correctly that had a bear on the front of it. Yes, it's um, the California flag, yes. basically. But yes, I feel like Rooney was a band that was very connected with uh, the OC. Uh, Rooney is, um, the lead singer of Rooney is um, Jason Schwartzman's brother. Oh, well, there we go. That yeah, makes sense. He's, he's the lead, he's the love interest in the first Princess Diaries movie. Oh, shit. Okay. I did not piece that together in my head. That's awesome. Yeah. The Doves, Caught by the River, please, uh, during a montage scene of Ryan, Seth, and Marissa going down the beach to go get some food. Mm -hmm. uh, when they enter the house party, the androids do it with Madonna is playing at summer's house party. There's also two other songs that are in that party that I could not find any information about on tune find. And I already mentioned Jeff Buckley's cover of hallelujah. Uh, so the question is, Joe, what is the standout track of this week's episode of the OC for you? Um, it's hallelujah. <laughs> really? Okay. It's hallelujah for sure. I mean, here's the thing. The, it will come into play again later in the season, okay. which like, uh, like the thing I love about the OC is that it's not, it's not afraid to use like a pop song as like a leitmotif for, <laughs> for like <laughs> characters, you know, like I'm, I'm, I'm like rewatching um, just for fun. I'm rewatching the Lord of the Rings movies, the, the first trilogy. And, you know, in the same way that, you know, like, you know, you're in, you're doing something with the hobbits. Do, 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 yeah. Right. The like musical it, motifs. Yes. Gotcha. Yes. The musical yeah. motifs. Like it's that same thing, but like, you know, it'll be uh, the same song over and over and over again. It's the, it's the Ross and Rachel with or without you by you two. When yes. you hear that song, you're supposed to think of those two. Gotcha. Um, yes. I actually, yeah. I didn't go with Jeff Buckley on this one, actually. I went with the doves, the doves caught by the river. There's something about that scene of them just like full of energy, full of joy, running down yeah. the beach, getting ready. The song is just perfect with the scene. I was like, this, this is this. As soon as that scene happened, I was like, unless I am like floored by the usage of hallelujah later on in this episode, this is my pick because I have the, so the tune fine list pulled up mm -hmm. so I can write all, down all the songs as they come up. And I, caught that jeff buckley was in this one yeah the the jeff buckley also like for on a personal note like the jeff buckley of it all like really you know when you're in your like angsty early 20s gay boy of it <laughs> gay boy uh bullshit like you know there's nothing quite like this like very stripped soulful version of hallelujah it is it is a beautiful cover it's it's I mean, I'd hard, be hard-pressed to think of a better cover. It is one of the best covers of all time. So yeah. it is a good song. This is not a diss on the song Hallelujah. I'm just over it being in everything at this point. Yeah. Joe, what is what is the pop culture phenomenon of of any of time and space uh, that you have been obsessing over lately? It's so it's it's so funny because we're, you know, we are recording these. Uh, we're recording these in bulk. Um, so you know, it can only have so much. I think like right now I'm really, um, 
uh, I'm really kind of absorbing and intaking as much of I as much as I because I just finished the Rings of Power okay. uh, on Amazon, and so. I'm like doing that thing where you go online and instead of reading the Cimmerillion, I'm like reading other people's writings about it. <laughs> I get that. I get that. All right. So, so researching what's happening in the, the mystical. Yes. In the Tolkien world lore of it all, <laughs> um, which by the way, if anyone is like, I don't, this is a shout out to a podcast that's like, we, to another podcast on a different network, um, the Decoding TV podcast that Dave Chen hosts. He did, he brings in experts uh, to recap the shows, different TV shows. He's done Westworld. He's done She-Hulk Attorney at Law. He just finished Rings of Power with like one of the like prominent uh, people of Tolkien lore on the internet. And their their conversations are so delightful. So watch, listen to that. Um, if you need, because they process things as well. And even then, as I'm still listening to them process it, I'm like <laughs> going in there and still doing research. Well, Joe, if you think that that pick is going to feel slightly dated by the time this comes out, um, I, I went from a show from the 90s to I'm talking about something that literally started airing two days ago. At the time that we were recording this, Netflix just dropped season three of Love is Blind. Oh, no. And... <laughs> and while while there are not standout characters that are trash heaps quite the way Shake was in season two, man, do they have so it, it is it has never been more clear on any reality show than season three of Love is Blind that every single contestant is in this for the Instagram follower count to bump up and nothing else. Have you watched, have you indulged in any of this season of Love is Blind? No, I'm, I'm indulged only in like the first episode of Love is Blind. And that was when, that was like the weekend before California went into lockdown in 2020. And I was like making lasagna because you know when the world burns you just make lasagna and yeah. um i was putting something on and i was like let's see what the big deal is uh not knowing that like it would basically be the future of relationships for the next year was would be love is blind all right so let me tell you that the editors at love is blind are so good at doing these contestants dirty in the way that they edit so there is one character who, unless something happens at the time that I'm recording this, was not picked to be engaged by anybody, um, which mm -hmm. was the correct call because he had nothing but Patrick Bateman energy throughout the entire, oh. like, just like business guy, possibly serial killer, possibly a cyborg, possibly a serial killer cyborg. Um, but they're interviewing him after he proposes to one of the girls and she turns him down. And in the middle of his post interview, he goes, um, excuse me, can I uh, can I apply some eye drops real quick? And they're like, sure. <laughs> and you see him put the eye drops in his eyes and then he just starts to wipe them and goes, I've just never been so hurt. In my eyes. Like, no. and, they, and they left the whole conversation of him asking for permission to apply the eye drops just to fucking bury this dude. It's, it's like those moments where you're just like, God bless you. Whoever's editing this show. Just like, fuck this guy. Wow. <laughs> wow. <laughs> 
That's so, awful. But yeah, I, I already mentioned her once in the first episode. I'll mention her again. Ashley Victoria Robinson, my rider, one of my ride or die trash TV people. Um, when like new seasons of the circle or love is blind drops, we, we are just texting each other every, every day that the new episodes come out, just, just dropping mean spirit at one liners about these people left and right. Um, it's great. I I love I love just the the trashiness of it, the drama yeah. of it. So I, I feel like Love is Blind season three and the OC being things that I watched all within a 24 hour period just makes sense in a weird you're way. Getting a lot of, you're, def- you're definitely getting a lot of uh, white people problems there. <laughs> oh, an overwhelming amount. Uh, and if people are absolutely loving these white people problems and they want to hear more about our uh, just people problems through our different podcasts, I, I host pretty much every single show on geekscape.net, but where can they go to check out your <laughs> stuff there, Jeff? Uh, the one, one of the shows they don't, he doesn't host, uh, Matt doesn't host on geekscape.net is, uh, uh, Fright School with me and my co-host Joshua. Uh, we're uh, two queers talking about horror, talking about overcomplicating it, uh, making it <laughs> making it more than what it is. Is a beheading just a beheading, or is it a commentary on you know the state of uh, you know housing in the United States? Who yeah, knows? you never. Only Fright School can answer those hard questions. Yes. yes. So if you're curious, uh, hop on over uh, to Fright School and. Uh, We'll see you there, too. Awesome. Well, we'll be back next week with episode three, The Gamble. Uh, I'm excited. I don't know what it is. I don't know what The Gamble is, Joe. I'm going to have to watch and find out. What's up, everybody? This is Brian here to tell you about our podcast, Bingetown TV. Our hosts include seven best friends with a love for all things television. We cover a range of genres with a focus on fantasy and sci-fi, but also dip our feet into drama, horror, comedy, and pretty much anything we think is good television. We use the traditional deep dive formula for new live shows that are released week to week, but our calling card is our Rooks and Vets and Pitchtown TV series. Rooks and Vets pairs two of our hosts that have seen a show with two of our hosts that have not seen a show. Pitchtown TV is when we have a special guest pitch us a show by having us watch the pilot and trying to convince us to watch the rest. If you're craving more content on some of your favorite TV shows, then you should listen to Bingetown TV. Find us on our website at bingetowntv.com, the Apple Podcast app, Spotify, or wherever else you may find your podcast. 91 Donkey Lane is a magical apartment complex that contains immense power, but lacks intelligent inhabitants. What is happening? I'm getting texts. Why are we getting a lot of texts? People found out what we did. Oh, dividing Mike Myers into an infinite amount of tiny Mike Myers. Listen to 91 Donkey Lane for free on Spotify or your favorite podcasting app. More at 91donkeylane.com. See you there, you donkeys. 
You're listening to the Geekscape Network.